carp on cicadas is, uh, as Lefty would say, it's like rolling a wine bottle in a jail cell. <laughs> yes, you know? it really is. <laughs> Three, two. Yeah, David, so when we're out on the flats, carp fishing, there are basically four types of looks from a carp that I'm looking for. And of course, we're talking about common carp here. One is obviously a tailing fish. That's what everybody loves to see. You're in really shallow water. Maybe you're in eight inches or 10 inches of water and the fish has got his nose in the mud and his tail's wagging in the air like what you would see a bonefish or a redfish doing on the flats in salt water. So that we call tailing fish. Another type of, of situation we get into is what we call crawling fish. Crawling fish are when you're in clear enough water, when you can look down and you actually see the fish feeding and moving and feeding and moving on the bottom. His belly is almost rubbing the bottom. You may see that in, in a foot, a foot and a half of water, and that fish is just down near the bottom of the water column and he stops and he eats and then he stops and he eats and he moves. And that's a crawling fish. Those to me, those are the most fun, the most challenging actually of, of the four kinds of looks we're looking for. Uh, the third one would be what we call mudding and bubbling or mudders and bubblers. When a carp is feeding in the bottom of the river, or possibly if you're fishing a lake on the bottom of, on a flat in a lake, when a carp is feeding, he's got his nose in the bottom of the river and he's grubbing just like a redfish would grub or a bonefish would grub or a permit would grub something in, in the bottom of the river or in, the, in this case, in the bottom of the river over there would be salt water. And when you're in 18 inches or two feet of water, that fish is still tailing when he's eating, but you're not seeing the tail because the fish is too deep. He's in too deep of water. But if you get up on top of that fish, not that you want to get on top of him, but if you were, you'd probably just see his tail wagging underwater. And what we see from afar when we're approaching those fish is we see bubbles coming up from the bottom of the river, which is the methane. When they're, when they're grubbing on the bottom, they're, they're letting methane from the bottom of the riverbed go. So you're seeing bubbles come up. And if you see a cloud of mud, around those bubbles from the rooting on the bottom of the river. We call those mudders and bubblers. So you're just seeing a tailing fish in deeper water. That's a, that's an ease. That's probably the easiest fish to catch of the four situations that we're looking for. Those are the ones, those are the home run fish for my clients. And then finally, the last one are fish that we call cruisers. Cruisers are nothing more than carp that are going from point A to point B, and they're swimming up near the, sur near the surface. Those are the hardest fish to feed. In all my years of carp fishing, and I've been guiding for probably close to 12 years now on the carp, those are the hardest fish to get to eat. Um, all they're doing is moving from point A to point B, and then they may sink and feed and then come back up and go to the next place. It could be 100 feet away. It could be 100 yards away. But those fish are near the top. Here's the one thing I will tell you. On top of them being incredibly difficult to hook, 
with a fly. I can't tell you how many times I hear guys come up to me on the flats and go, oh man, Henry, we must have thrown it 30 carp today. And, I, and I'll say, really, we couldn't get one to eat. I said, were they on the bottom? They go, no, no, no. They were all over the surface, man. And I'm like, yeah, those are cruisers and they're, they're next to impossible to feed. So we have tailors, we have crawlers, we have mutters and bubblers, and we have cruisers. Those are the four situations for the common carp that we're looking for. I think that'll help us throughout this conversation because I know that we'll, we'll go back to that to those uh, throughout the conversation and be able to uh, talk about each one in different circumstances. I think we'll, we as the listeners will be appreciative of that being out there first thing. So good information. Uh, Well, let's go ahead and kick this thing off from high atop the world headquarters of Southeastern fly. This is the Southeastern fly podcast. Thanks for joining us for this episode. Feel free to share the podcast with your friends and your fishing partners. Subscribe or follow so you'll be the first to know when an episode drops. If you find value in the podcast, drop by the Southeastern Fly store and explore the merch that fuels this podcast. Sales of the merch is important, and that's what keeps this podcast coming to you each month. So who is our guest today on Southeastern Fly? He's well known as one of the top carp and striper guides in the Southeast. He's an accomplished fly tire and outdoor rider as well. He wrote the book, Fly Fishing for Freshwater Striped Bass. He's a fly designer, which helps him when he's pursuing carp. He guides on the Chattahoochee River for those carp. Please welcome back to the podcast, Henry Cowan. Henry, thanks for stopping back by. My pleasure, David. We're going to, tonight, we're going to, we're not, no secrets tonight. Everything's going to be spilled today. All, we're going to let, we're going to spill all the secrets and the tips tonight. Oh, I like that now. Yeah. And we, we. As you know, this is a pretty technical podcast and, and people come to it uh, to, to get things that will help them catch whatever it is they're chasing. So that that right there, that statement right there is going to perk some perk some ears up. So before we get into presentation, we need to talk about flies. We don't necessarily know need to know which flies work, work best. But, you know, if you want to tell us, that's great. What we do want to know is what are the characteristics that you look for in carp flies? That's a pretty important question for the listeners. And I, I will tell you that carp, because now I'm, I'm telling you about my fishery in the Chattahoochee, basing it on that, but I've also had conversations with guys that carp fish out in Colorado a lot, um, out in Montana and all the way uh, North Carolina and all the way up to uh, the Potomac River and, uh, you know, Bob Clouser from the Clouser Minnow is a big carp guy himself, even further up, up the line out of Pennsylvania. So uh, we've all shared our, our conversations. And, and the funny thing is carp don't know where they live. So they all act kind of similarly. Carp eat, for the most part, they eat aquatic insects. They eat worm-like critters. They eat um Crayfish. So the common carp, anyway, that we're talking about is a carnivore. Um, it's not like the grass carp, which you can find in ponds. This is a different animal. This guy will eat minnows. And so you can you can throw a lot of different bugs at these fish. But I will tell you that for me, what I have found the most effective is anything that imitates either a crayfish or a damselfly nymph. And a damselfly nymph, you know, you trout guys know what that is because you throw those all the time. That is what we find mostly in the rivers and lakes. That being said, let me fast forward to the most important thing for me 
is there's probably three characteristics that are really important in flies. One is the weight of the fly. If I'm fishing super skinny water, I want a weightless fly. I don't want any weight on the fly whatsoever. I want that bug to hit quietly. If that fish is crawling around in eight inches, it, we need to be as stealthy as stealthy can be. On the other hand, if I'm fishing in you know, tw 12 to 18 inches of water, I can get away with a bead chain eye. And if I'm fishing any deeper than that, then a small dumbbell, a weighted dumbbell eye would do just fine. Uh, if, you're a, if you're a guy that likes to fish beads in front, you can do the same thing. It could be a, you know, a tungsten bead for the deeper fish versus just a regular, you know, just a regular small weighted gold bead or whatnot for, for a fish in 18 inches and a plastic bead. If you just want to put something up front and make it look fishier, you can throw that on there. That'll be quiet. But so it's all about the weight. And I like to go out there and have a couple of rods rigged already in my boat with different weighted flies. It's not so much which fly, but rather what fly weights so that when I go to a specific flat, I'll know which fly to throw based on how deep a water I'm in. That fly needs to get down to the bottom where the carp are eating. And you need to do that quietly. That's what I like about flies. As far as um, color goes, I'm a big fan of dark colors. So black, rust, brown, olive. Those are my four favorites. If I had a if I had to narrow that down, I'd probably go black and rust would be my two favorites. Carp like silly legs on their fly. If you want to tie a fly with rubber legs on the back for a crayfish, you know, you can definitely do that. Um, you know, as far as patterns go, uh, oh, by the way, in color, another really good color is something with a little bit of orange in there. Mm. Just a tad of orange, whether it's the bead or or just a little wrap of um, just something near the near the back end of the fly, like a sack. You could put a little bit of orange in there or the other color that's really popular. Our friends across the pond in Europe love pink. Pink. When, those guys aren't fly fishing so much as they are meat fishing, but they will take their their rigs and put pink, bright pink or bubblegum pink on their bait rigs to attract the carp in. So they like pink. Laughingly, you could actually fish a pink Y2K or an orange Y2K if you wanted to catch carp, but that would not be my go-to flies. My go-to flies would be a Clouser Swimming Nymph in Rust, which is one of my favorites, a black, small beadhead woolly booger. I love just a black woolly booger in size eight or even 10. Okay. Um, small. I like small. A carp carrot is a good fly. Um, my, you know, I, I do a carp scampi. You know, I have a bonefish fly with umqua called the bonefish scampi. It also, we also have one called a redfish scampi and tied similarly, just that we've added uh, silly legs to it. I, I tie a, a, a carp scampi and I'll tie that in either all black or all, or all rust. I like that a lot. But if you ask me, that I can only take one fly with me right now. The hottest fly on the planet for carp is called a carp hybrid. And that was designed, I am thinking that was designed out West. And what it is, it's sort of the front end of the fly looks like a wet fly. You know, it's got some guinea hackle wrapped around the collar of their three, three wraps of that. And then the body of the fly is nothing but peacock and the tail of the fly is actually just red micro chenille. So it's sort of a combination 
between sort of a San Juan wormy looking thing and a wet fly. And they call it the carp hybrid. And I will just tell you that thing is magic for me uh, on my flats in the Chattahoochee. And I know for a fact in other area rivers and lakes around the Southeast. That one I have not heard of. Uh, I think a woolly bugger pretty much works for everything. If you can get the right size and color down, probably more profile than anything, but color never hurts. You were talking about the different weights. So in, in uh, you know, skinny water, you want something that lands soft, floats, floats down to the bottom, you know, without causing too much of a ruckus. And then you want something with. Uh, yeah, the BJ. Yeah. And then you want something that's a little bit heavier, maybe with dumbbell eyes. So do you have. Are your flies tied, you know, maybe you have one of those types uh, of each fly or, you know, several of those types of each fly where one is tied with nothing, one's tied with bead chain, one's tied with, uh, with dumbbell eyes. Yeah, you could, you could do, there's so many ways to trick up a fly. You know, you could take a, um, that hybrid we were talking about, and uh-huh. you could tie that with all three. You could tie it with bead chain, you could tie it with nothing at all. But if you were going to tie it without any weight, you'd want to absolutely make sure you put it on a 60-degree bend jig hook. Okay. Um, yeah. This way it rides hook up because the big thing with carp is you're fishing the bottom and you don't want to snag uh, the bottom if at all possible. I even like tying my woolly buggers rather than with a gold bead in the front. I'll tie it with, uh, you know, with dumbbell eyes or, you know, bead chain eyes to get it to ride hook up. Again, right. just to avoid the seaweed and the, you know, the, the grass on the bottom of, of any lake or river that you're fishing. And, you know, conversely, when you're talking about Clouser swimming nymph, if you want to tie one of those up, just throw a, a, a wrap of uh, lead wire around it before you dub it and, and put everything together. And now your fly will have weight and be able to sink. So yeah, there's a lot of ways you could even throw a teeny tiny split shot in front of a weightless fly if you wanted to, you know? Right. Right. Just you, the, the key here on the weightless flies don't get anything so big, so heavy that you you're trying to get it down there quickly in six inches of water or whatever, because that's going to spook them because they are they're super spooky. Oh, my God. They are. Let me tell you, it, they are incredibly spooky fish. <laughs> um, you know, people ask me for the first time they're going carping and they're like, all right, well, what am I thinking? When You know, tell me what this is like, because I'm a saltwater guy and. I want to try this. And I said, you know, you're going to be hunting for redfish, but casting at a permit. Yeah. You know? I think, that's a, I think that, that is spot on right there. Yeah. That, that, that's kind of what you're doing. Yeah. For a redfish, you just got to get it in the general area and you can plop yeah. it down there really hard and be fine. You know, that's why it's hard for me to believe that we have carp in the South because you've heard of Southern hospitality. There's no hospitality in a carp. Redfish have hospitality. Carp don't have a hospitality. Oh yeah, I think that's why I like to chase redfish because I can just go out there and be be a little sloppy and still get away with it. Yeah, yeah, that's the beauty of redfish and bonefish is they're very forgiving. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. Carp, carp are more permit slash tarpon esque yeah. when it comes to the perfect cast. You know, <laughs> it's all about accuracy. I'll add on to the fly discussion. Uh, it's been. I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, it's about to come around, but we got into some carp on the cicada hatch. So okay. they were eating, they were eating yeah. on top, which is so much fun. But I mean, you, I missed the th- first three or four 
And, and, uh, my buddy would kept David, David Knapp was fishing with me. He said, you gotta slow that hook set, hook set. Yeah, down. You gotta cut, you gotta, you gotta wait. Yeah. Yeah. So whenever I wait. did that, it was on Whenever I finally figured that one out. So, yeah, well, carp on cicadas is, uh, as lefty would say, it's like rolling a wine bottle in a jail cell. <laughs> yes. You know, it really is. <laughs> <laughs> I think that if somebody didn't take notes there, they need to back it up and, and get their pens and crayons out and maybe take some notes there. And that, that helps, I think will help some folks get a game plan in their fly selections and what they want to take to the river or the, or the lake. So that, that, I think that just that those few minutes there, I think that's very helpful. What about equipment? So rods and reels and that sort of thing. Let's talk about equipment just for a minute. Let's hit that. Depending on the size of the carp you're targeting. For instance, where I fish on the Chattahoochee, most of our fish are 10 pounds plus. So I like a seven or an eight weight. Those guys that are fishing, say, below Hartwell Dam, you know, down the Savannah, those got those fish down there are mostly four to six pounds. So a six or a seven is perfectly fine. Mm, yeah. um, so as far as, you know, rods go, six to eight weight is is really what I would suggest. Um, a reel that that has a decent, you know, a decent drag system. When you hook a carp in um, in three feet of water, he's going to fight you like a redfish and just run around the boat you know, 15 times before you finally get them to the net. And you're just like, when is this going to end? Right. <laughs> you, get, you hook one in eight inches of water. He's going to take you into backing, yeah. getting into deeper water. So, you know, a reel with, you know, probably somewhere around 120 to 150 yards of backing would be plenty and a decent drag system. As far as the fly line goes, a floating line without a doubt. Um, you know, and honestly, any floating line is good as long as it's from Cy Angler. <laughs> Our boy. All right. All anyway, right. no. Oh, that was um, good. Any floating line really is, is good. Everybody's making good floating lines today. I'm just, I had just had to put a plug in for the boys <laughs> up in Midland, Michigan. Um, so, uh, and then as far as leader goes, you know, I'm a big fan of fluorocarbon. And 10-pound tippet is what you want. And if you're getting refusals, you have two options. Either go down to 8-pound tippet or go out to a 12-foot leader. A 9-, 10-foot-long fluorocarbon leader at 10-pound is where I start. Okay. That's, that's it in a nutshell. Oh, one more piece of equipment. Must have polarized lenses on the boat. Oh, yeah. You are not going to see those fish if you don't bring polarized lenses. What, what color lenses do you use? I know this is kind of... Yeah, you know, I like the copper colors. I'll, I'll tell you whose lens, who, you know, listen, uh, there's so many great glass companies out there, but I am a monster fan of the Igniter lens by, mm. by uh, Smith Optics. Yes, yes, oh, I've got used, some of those. Yeah, Smith's Igniters, they're a low light lens. I know, uh, I know Costa makes a low light lens as well in their 500 series. Yeah. Um, but I am a huge fan of the Smith igniter. Uh, they, they make a couple of different kinds, um, with that igniter lens. they make the guide one. And then there's another one I can't remember, but if you ask for the igniter series, that's the low light series that will just open the whole flat up to you. Yeah. I really like those. Those work, those work well early morning. Oh yeah. Fan. Late and the, the reason I like the really early good. morning, David, is because we need windless flats. Mm -hmm. You know, when, you, when you're in Tannic, well, you know, the guys out in Montana and Colorado or in California, they're a little spoiled 
because um, their water is generally pretty clear. Here in the Southeast, we're dealing with tannic water. And when you're dealing with tannic water and you get a little riffle on the on the water, it just makes it really hard to see those fish. So, you know, while obviously I love fishing midday and in the early afternoon when the sun is high because you can see better, um, if the wind's up, you're just better off going early in the morning or late in the afternoon when the wind dies. Right. Yeah, that makes total sense. Well, let's let's kind of let's kind of go back to the to the fish uh, in a way. So, thinking about those fish that we discussed, the the tailors, the crawlers, the muddlers, bubblers, and the cruisers. So, for thinking about those, okay. So, this kind of brings both together, both of the first two questions together, Henry. So, thinking about the tailors, the the crawlers, the muddler, bubblers, and the cruisers. Uh, that we discussed in the opening question and then take into account those flies that we just, we just discussed in that, that last question. Can you break down how you fish for each fish and the likely fly fly types of each? So I know that we mentioned some different, different depths of water. Now I want to kind of get into retrieves and presentations and that sort of thing. Can we move on? that's, That's a great question. That's a really important question. You have to remember when you're in the bow of the boat or you're waiting a flat somewhere, when you make that, when you see that fish and you make that cast, your retrieve is mimicking that bug. So how does a, how does a, a crawfish move? How does a, how does a damselfly nymph move in the water? It's short, literally two inch, one inch little bumps followed by a pause, followed by a bump, 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 followed by another pause. They don't move. You're not fishing it the way you'd fish like a Puglisi bait fish pattern. You know, you know what I mean? Or, yeah, right. or a deceiver. This is you, you need to become one with that fly and be that bug or that critter that he's eating. And, and you want to move the way that critter would move underwater. So it's just itty bitty little moves with a pause and a move and a pause. And, and when you feel that, that eat, it's not going to be like when a trout wants to pull a stream, you know, when you're fishing a streamer down and across trout fishing, I don't care if it's a 12 inch fish or a 22 inch fish that hit feels like he's going to grab the rod and pull it out of your hand. Yeah, it does. Okay. That's yep. not the way a carp hits. Exactly. A carp hit is going to feel like you got stuck on the bottom. So as soon as you're bumping that thing slowly and stopping and all of a sudden you feel resistance, you just want to lift that rod almost like a trout set and, and, and come back and strip strike very gently. Remember, you're only using 10 pound tippet. And I can't tell you how many of my, doesn't happen with my trout guys. It happens with all my saltwater guys where the first time they ever hook a, a carp, they end up busting them off on the hook set because they're used to giving it you know, the old heave ho. And so that's not the case with carp. They've got a rubbery mouth. So a nice gentle set will put that fly around his rubbery lips. And very rarely uh, do we miss a fish due to that. So it's, it's really a very soft, easy retrieve with pauses in between. If you're in the salt water and you, and you trout set, people, the guys are yelling, don't trout set, you trout set, you trout set. And you're yelling, Trout set, trout set. <laughs> That's right. I'm, well, I'm not yet. First of all, let me just say this. 
I am nothing like a Florida Keys guide. I don't yell at my customers. Okay. <laughs> if, if, my, if my customers want, if my customers need aggravation and, and, and want to feel anxiety, they can come home and let their wives tell them, this is what you haven't done yet that I've been asking you to do for a month. <laughs> That's not what they're looking for from me on the boat. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging and coaching, you know? Yeah, absolutely. We need more of that. We need more of that in salt for sure. Uh, although there's some really good saltwater guides that, that, oh, yeah. that coach yeah, I've been with that both. sort of thing. Yeah. 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 I have too. Yeah. I'd yeah. rather be with the ones that, that whenever I get off, I feel like, wow, I really did something today. I learned something. Maybe I caught some fish versus, well, hmm, I don't even know if I want to come back. That's the retrieve that we're looking for. Um, just a nice short and, and always try to take the fish that's that's, you know, you may see two or three within casting range. Take the one that's closest yeah. if you can, because if you take the one that's furthest and the difference might be the closest might be 25 to 30 feet away and the furthest may be 40. But when you make that 40 foot cast to that fish, you may spook the two in front of you and that that'll drive everybody off the flat. Right. And now you got to look for more fish. So take the closest one put the fly on a paper plate. That fly has got to be on a pie plate. It's got to be right on their nose. I would rather my customer spook a fish by hitting him on the nose than by thinking that he's going to make a cast and that fly is literally three feet to the left of the fish. When you hit that, when that fly hits the water at three feet to the left of the fish, I have you recast immediately. I don't care. And if that fish is tailing, or mudding and bubbling, which is tailing underwater. Sometimes my guys will have to make four or five casts to get that fly on, on the fish's nose. So, you know, one of my very dear friends, Keith Orstrom, his, his uh, daughter, Kimberly, she's, I'm guessing she's 21. And she's been carp fishing with, with Keith and myself for probably three years already. And I will tell you, she is one of the best daggum carp anglers you will meet she got a 25 pounder a couple of years ago on our flats and she is um she she is a hired gun and if you need a carp angler in a tournament she'd be a hired gun she's <laughs> she's that good all right she she's that good and she's good because she's more accurate she's accurate she's patient she works that fly she's thinking it's all strategic mm -hmm. you know she she's just doing it all right so accuracy is the, that's the ticket I don't care that you can throw a fly, you know, 70 or 80 feet. That's beautiful. How accurate are you at 30 feet or 40 feet or even 25 feet? You know, you want to put that fly literally on a pie plate. And if you're not there, you need to recast. Yeah. And the other thing is, I'll give you another great tip. If you're in a boat with somebody fishing and you're taking turns, somebody's polling, somebody's fishing, the guy who or the gal who's polling in the back of the boat if they see the fish before you because they're up higher, so the glare is being cut by being up a little higher, that's why we have polling platforms on, mm -hmm. on polling skiffs, point your rod. The nose of the boat is always 12 o'clock. So if I say to you, there's a fish 50 feet at 11 o'clock, you know, wherever the nose of the boat is, just slightly to the left. Point your rod and I'll say a little more left, a little more left right there. Now go down, 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 right there. You see the fish? Now make the cast. Yeah. Don't be in a hurry to make the cast until you see the fish. I was actually watching a television show the other night where in a sniper was, was uh, they were following a sniper somewhere. I don't remember where, 
but you know, the, the old, uh, the, the way that, that movies do snipers is they show them, they like breathe out, calm themselves down, reach up yeah. real slow. This is very much like that. It's like, don't get excited if you can help it. I think that's a really great point. You know, everything. And, and, and it's not like, you know, if you're a baseball player, you know, the best batters always say the game slows down. Even in football, the quarterbacks will tell you as you get into the better leagues and as you get more experience, the game slows down. And these guys that are playing these professional sports are so much better. And it's the same thing when you're yeah. carp fishing or really when you're sight fishing. I don't care what you're sight fishing for. Slow the game down and you'll do better. It, it's anything that has hand-eye coordination in it, I think. Uh, and your mind, of course, you see the situations over and over and over. Uh, and I can give a little bit of, for instance, it doesn't have to do with fishing, but I used to race radio control cars on oval tracks, a lot like NASCAR, but they were about, uh, they're one-tenth scale, so they're about 15, 20 inches long. And they would go anywhere from 40 to 80 miles an hour. And as I did that more and more and more, I would, I could almost look straight and see the whole track. And it really, you really, it really did slow down as you did it more and more and more. And I think that this, although that's a kind of a different analogy, this type of fishing sight fishing is very much the same as try to slow it down. I could see whatever that. Whatever you got to do. You know, when, when, when we're running striper charters for top water in the fall, and guys are running all over the lake looking for fish and they're doing, you know, 5,000 RPMs doing 43, 44, 45 miles an hour. And I'm running around the lake at 4,000 RPMs doing 35 miles an hour because I can just take a better look yeah. at what's happening by slowing it down. And, and just so you know, even though, David, obviously, you know, I do a lot of striper fishing most of the year, if I could... I would cut two months of my striper year out if I could get an extra two months of carp fishing. Mm. That's how much I like hunting for carp. It is one of the great, great ways to fly fish and catch a freshwater fish that's available to almost everybody, yeah. but will fight you and, and, and make you think strategy-wise like a saltwater angler. It's just, it's some of the coolest fishing you could ever do. And, and I just, I just love it. Yeah. It's a great tune up for going down to the coast somewhere or to the, to the Gulf and, and fishing for redfish or whatever, you know, whatever you're chasing down. It's a great yep. tune up for that. Yep. Now I will tell you, David, one thing, the only thing I will say that's different when we're making casts, we talked a little bit about being accurate is when you're fishing to, you can only do this when you're fishing to tailing fish or mutters and bubblers. When their noses are in the dirt, they're not paying anywhere near the attention to anything around them other than what are they able to root out of the mud. Right. You can actually throw that fly over their head and drag it into their feeding zone. You can't do that with a cruiser and you will absolutely spook a crawler in 10 seconds mm, yeah. if you try doing that with a fish. Those fish, cruisers and crawlers, you have to be throwing in front of or to the side next to it and, and making sure you're crossing their path in front of their mouth. Anything other than that, and you're better off recasting. But when you see mud and bubbles coming up or you see a tail wagon, you can throw directly beyond the fish 10 feet. And just the minute that fly hits and it's in line, 
strip like crazy to get the fly close to over him, let the fly sink and drag it into his into his feeding zone. And you will hook up many times that way too. For the rivers that we fish, there aren't a lot, you don't see a ton of carp. But when you do, uh, a lot of times they're cruisers. Like, you know, you might see 30 on top, just kind of right. cruising around and everybody wants to fish for them. And I get it. You know, I'd love to see some of them are huge. And I would love to see you, you know, get one on a six weight, but you don't see a ton of tailors or crawlers, you know, you just don't. So you don't have quite as many shots. So what we're doing is starting to explore some different pieces of water to see if we can't get to those. And And one of the things I would tell you is, so if you have, if you're fishing a river and you've got a big, a big Creek that comes into the river off the river itself, go into that Creek where that water is just not moving anywhere near like it is in the river that's where you're going to find those carp. We've got a couple of those that we've seen carp in. Exactly. So, you know, on the Chattahoochee, I'm actually fishing what we call Oxbow Lakes. When you think of the Chattahoochee River, you've got this flowing river and I am not in the river. I am actually off the sides of the river on these little lakes on both sides of the river. And that's where the water doesn't run nearly as hard. And that's where I'm doing most of my fishing. So those are, that's where the flats are. Yeah. So what about, what about fishing between a river and a lake? Do you spend more of your time in the river? hundred percent. Yeah. I don't fish. I can't get my stupid fish on Lanier to eat, eat a fly unless I do a bait and switch, you know, where I'm throwing out, you know, trout chow or, you know, um, oh, yeah. dog food and, you know, chumming them up. That's the only, I, I cannot get them to eat on Lake Lanier. I just don't know of any giant flats. I do know of actually one on the south end of the lake, which I really should be exploring right now. And I just haven't yet. And then I know a few up on the way upper end, but once you get, you know, carp season is generally May, June, July, August, September in the warmer months. And in the warmer months, when you start getting on the lakes, that water just becomes allergy looking. It's not crystal clear. You know, it just gets right. that green look to it. It makes it harder to see the fish where in the winter, the lakes get, you know, super clear. Oh, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I know there's some flats on and I've not fished it, but I've heard that there's some flats on Lake Ackworth that guys fish. Um, and I've not gone there yet, but that would be a lake that I personally would go try. But most of us here in, the, in, in Georgia that I talk to or guys in Alabama and you know, Paul Rose guides up in North Carolina. I don't know if you know Paul, but he's know, Paul. he is he's a fantastic carp guide up in North Carolina. Um, and most of us are fishing rivers. Yeah. So he's doing the same then. Yeah. And if I had those oxbows like you've got, I'd be sitting right there as well. Cause that's just I saw that. So you sent me the videos and I'll put those out there as well in the uh, show notes. You sent me the videos of you uh and where you're fishing and how nice it just looks it looks like a big flat, just like you yeah. would see or similar to what you would see like down in, in the, in the kind of in the keys, but a little obviously different, but still a big flat like that. Yeah. Most people, when we take them out and we're doing this, you know, especially if they're from out of town, they just can't believe they're in the city limits of Atlanta for a fish. That's going to be between 10 and 15 pounds. They're kind of blown away by that. You know, there's a lot of good fishing in the, in the Atlanta and that, that immediate area there that, 
you know, if you're not in there and looking for it, you don't really tap into it. Well, you know, the fact that we can support three fly shops. Yeah. Yeah. Really four fly shops, you know, because we've got Unicoi, we've got Cahutta, Alfred Outfitters. And of, of course, we've got the granddaddy. We've got the Fishhawk. Yeah. Um, on top of two Orvis stores. So when you put it all together, you know, in and around Atlanta, we have six shops to support some, you know, what I consider pretty good fishing. Your four uh, independent shops are are not, it's not like they're rinky-dink shops. They're all good shops. Oh, they're great shops. Yeah. Yeah, they really are. It's, uh, it's a blessing to have all that uh, available to you. Unfortunately, what comes with that is pressure. True. True. You know, lots of people, big city, lots of pressure on fisheries. But that's the price you pay, you know? Yeah, we we can't all live out in Montana in the middle of nowhere and have a private no stream question. for ourselves. Yeah. No question. This next question here, we ask this of everybody that, that comes on the show because we don't want to miss something that maybe you thought you think is important uh, that, that maybe you think for the audience out there listening. If I told them this, this would help them out. So what's the one thing we haven't asked about fishing for carp that we should have asked? The, the one thing is that we, we, we probably should talk about is how, how not to make, not to overcast. You got to be quick. You got to be accurate. It's really important to go and pray. If you, if you can cast, but you're not an accurate caster, go out in your backyard, get a couple of paper plates with a spike in them, you know, with a nail in them, put one at, 30 feet, put another one to the right at 40 feet and see if you can hit that plate. The, the, the most important thing that I tell my folks, because carp, not all carp give you a lot of time to, to make five or six or seven casts. So, you know, you may only get two casts at a, at a mutter and bubbler or, or a tailor. You may only get one cast at a crawler. So, but for those casts, those fish that'll give you more than one cast, what I tell my angler is when we get in the boat is the minute your fly hits the water, the split second that fly touches the water, you see where that carp is. Is that fly in the right spot to catch the fish? Because if it isn't, that split second it hits the water, I want you to rear back and false cast because you've now got a water load from the fly hitting the water. So you don't have to false cast anymore. Just pick it back up and, and re, you know, just redirect that fly to where it needs to be. And if on the second cast, you're a little far to the other side, the minute that fly hits the water, pick it up again and recast. It's not thinking that you may be close is just not close enough. That's probably the most important piece of advice that I could give any carp angler is it's got to be on the money and, and wasting a shot and then stripping in, hoping that fl that fish may see it. It's, it's not likely to happen. It's never going to happen. Wow. They don't eat. It's got to be in front of their nose. So I don't care if, you know, you got to be thinking it's all about strategy. And when you're making that cast, make sure that fly is where it needs to be. And if it's not, don't wait for me to tell you, recast. You should know instinctively, I'm, a, I'm three feet to the left or I'm seven feet behind the fish. I better strip quick and get it over his head. You need to be strategically sound 
as an angler. It's not, I'm going to tell you, it's the most challenging freshwater fishing that there is. I know muskie is pretty challenging. Yeah. Carp, trying to get a carp to eat is really hard. And if, if you're going out wanting to catch four or five or six fish, then you need to find a carp fishery where there's fish under six pounds because those fish eat pretty, pretty good. They, they're a little more forgiving for sure. But if you're fishing my fish, which are basically 10 plus, those fish are not forgiving. So it's all about strategy, making, finding the fish, casting accurately to a fish, and then stripping that fly in like the bug itself would be underwater moving. That's what it's all about. And then making sure, God forbid I'm saying this, make sure you trout set. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, David, on my when I do the fly fishing shows around the country, and I'm tying at a at a at a station on the uh, where I'm at my when at my vice, I have one of those little round uh, glare deflectors that sits behind the vice, so I can see my fly. Mm. And on the back side of it, there's a sticker that says "Don't trout set." You know? <laughs> but I can't tie carp flies when I'm when I've got that vice with me. That's awesome. You know, the only other thing that I think I might add to that, and, and you touched on it earlier, was I don't think you can strip small enough. Yeah. You know, right. every, everybody strips a long way and you know, these tiny little wrist strips. It's interesting. I'll, we'll do that for uh, for trout a lot of time. A lot of times when we're trying to make it look like a shad or make it look like, you know, something like the bait fish swimming and not wanting it to go those long glides. And you'll tell folks, real little tiny little wrist strips. And then you say smaller, smaller, smaller. And you can tell that they're like, I'm not sure this dude even knows what he's doing, what he's talking yeah. about. Because on TV, we see these long strips and doing yeah, all this that's crazy not, it's stuff. It's almost like you're moving a wet fly. You know, you strip yeah. like you're fishing a wet fly, just real small little bumps or the way a, the way a, a permit guy or a bonefish guy moves a crab or a shrimp in the water. It's same, especially a crab, you know, you just, they don't, crabs don't move fast. They got a lot right. of legs, but they don't move fast. You know, <laughs> A lot of legs and they ain't going nowhere. That's what it is. <laughs> I don't know what time we started this or how long this is, Henry, but there is a ton of good information in here. Uh, and I say this, I say this on almost every, every episode. It, it may be something that you want to go back and listen to a couple of times and I'm not going to say take notes, but mentally at least take notes. If you're going to chase carp as Henry's talking, as you're talking, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, I've seen this. I've seen this, you know, I've seen that. I've seen what he's talking about. Yep. That makes sense. So all of it, it, it checks out with what I see, checks off the box, checks the boxes of what I, I see and what I think I see. And then a lot of what I thought, okay, that, that makes sense too. You know, as far as, I think this, but I'm not sure. So a little bit of reinforcement there for me even. So, well, you'll see on a couple of those videos that you'll post that I sent you, you'll see the guy I had in my boat. You'll clearly see two fish swimming because we filmed this with a drone over the top of us uh -huh. and you'll see two fish and he made the cast and these fish were, were kind of crawling on the bottom and yeah. he made the cast over the fish, like long in front of, you know, way past the fish by 15 feet. 
And the minute he got that line, started to strip that line, those fish just took off. They were, he lined them. You know what I mean? They, yeah, right. They're just spooky. You, you'll, you'll see it from the video, what they're doing. You know, it's, it's, it's cool stuff, man. Yeah. And, yeah. The uh, drone stuff is really good. It yeah, really it's good gives, stuff. It paints a good picture of all this, a lot of the stuff that you just talked about too, which, yeah. is, which will be helpful. Yeah. So all good information. Well, what do you say we close this thing out? I'm ready. I'm uh, listen. It's uh, I don't want to tell anybody what time it is because I'm not sure we're supposed to tell them, but I can just tell you right now the Yankees are on. Oh, and uh, I'm definitely getting back to my beloved New York Yankees after this podcast is over. (laughs) Well, I don't want to take you away from that too long. If they're playing the Braves, though, what do you do there? You know, I'm a Yankees guy first. Yeah. And fortunately, in the American League, I'm the Yankees in the National League. I like the Braves. Oh, and nothing okay. would make me happier than to see a Yankees Braves World Series. And I'll tell you, I'm not offended if the Braves don't make it. I'm not offended to see the Mets get in. And as a Yankee fan, believe it or not, wow. David, I like the Red Sox to do really well, because to me, nothing is better in baseball when the Yankees and the Red Sox are just, you know, beating each other over the head for a playoff spot. Yeah. So as much as I hate the dreaded Red Sox, I want them to have a good season so that at the end of this year, we're playing them for meaningful games. I just love that. That's good stuff right there. I am a Braves fan because we lived in Ringgold for so long uh, in, in Chattanooga area. And then I'm also a Detroit Tigers fan because I lived in Michigan whenever I was much, much, much younger. Well, let's close this thing out then. If you find value in the podcast, share this episode with your family and your friends, your fishing partners. Uh, drop by the southeastern floor floor hello drop by the southeastern fly store and explore the merch that fuels the southeastern fly podcast now you know a well-known carp guide top carp guide in the southeast if you listen to this this podcast he's an accomplished outdoor writer and fly tire he wrote the book fly fishing for freshwater striped bass and it's a great book uh he's a fly designer which helps him tie flies when pursuing carp you can find him at henry cowanflyfishing.com and henry really appreciate you stopping back by the podcast and helping us out on our carp game david it's my pleasure anytime i can help out you and your listeners um, i'm always be there for you guys no secrets man no secrets there was a lot of information in this past hour oh, long it's been hour or 30 minutes or however long it's been i don't know how long it's been but a lot of good useful information i'm going to leave you with this thought i am a big time believer of paying it forward and yep. that's the way I've always lived my life. And uh, we're going to continue to do that till it's my turn to go uh, six feet under. Yep. We're going to pay it forward. And that's what this podcast is all about. And I don't want to get too far off before we before we get done here. But I learned a ton listening to podcasts when I first started fishing, when I first started guiding. I still listen to them. Uh, I've got a lot of friends that pod, are podcasters and a lot of folks that listen to podcasts. That's how I gain information was through podcasts because me reading is not that ain't that ain't a great game. You know, I'm just not a great reader and and I'm a good I'm a good listener to somebody talking and I'm a good watcher and and seeing somebody do it. But as far as like reading a book or reading a magazine, my mind floats so much onto whatever's next that I it's hard for me to concentrate. So podcasts are the way I, I do that. I've done that. And that's really the, one of the main reasons why we started this podcast was because of that, because I thought, well, I was, I sucked up all that knowledge and, and, 
you know, supported those podcasts. And now uh, there's probably somebody else out there that wants to suck up some knowledge. And I want to yes, make sir. sure we give them that. You're paying it forward too. Well, you just listen to Henry Cowan on Southeastern Fly. See you next time. Absolutely flew by. It was it was good. I think I think the people who who are interested in carp will be pleased. Yeah, yeah. And there's some other good information in there too that they could, if you know, to take something to other types of fish. You know, uh, there's some good information in there as well. So, man, that was a good one. Yeah, go Yankees. (laughs) Have a good night, buddy. All right. See you, Henry. Bye.